my camera on or can I no turn you it don't need it on you can okay. it's, this is just all audio old-fashioned okay. radio radio okay. old-timey <laughs> i work on the radio so uh, that is there you go that that's great 100 aces that's audio awesome. forever <laughs> sounds free. great where, it's in stereo it's the best where do you work in radio uh in toronto oh cool oh so you're in canada Mm-hmm. Nice. I did not know that. Yeah, I did not know you were Canadian. Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. I'm American, as you can tell by my <laughs> my stupid little icon on the on the screen on the. No, on the it's schedule. all good. <laughs> you know, because like we didn't move to Canada till I was twelve. We lived in in Belgium. Oh, and like oh. so. I went to like uh, like uh, my dad. I went to military school, not because we're like rich, just because we we're like in the military, living in Belgium at the time. And I went to like a an international school, and so it was like all NATO kids, like Germans, British, Americans, oh, everything. Wow. Yeah, so I had lots of American friends growing up. That's cool. Oh wow, that's that's great. That's great. Well, on behalf of my country, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> we're not doing much better. I like. I don't know. Everyone thinks that like Canada is this pl- different place than it is. It's got it's, it's got just as many problems, man. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. Well, you you brought up the military. I mean, that's a good segue to start talking about what we're here to talk about. Shall we sure. begin? Yeah, dude. Cool, cool. Well, uh, let's just start off by saying that this is the Part-Time Fanboy Podcast. My name is Christian Horn. I have a very special guest on the line. His name is Fred Kennedy. Look, I'm trying my hardest not to make any dead Kennedy jokes. I, I know <laughs> dude, that you... It's all good. <laughs> I know that you Go ahead. Probably... I love that band. It's one of my favorite. Where Do You Draw the Line? Um, it's one of the greatest songs ever recorded, man. Yeah, I know. I know. I was just like, how am I not going to slip and say dead Kennedys at one point? during this interview but i won't do it i won't do it your name is fred fred kennedy and um you are here because you have an a book is it already out or is it coming out i wasn't sure as to the release schedule march 22nd is when oh. issue one drops yeah. oh so we're it was very early oh yeah nice, like nice. originally it was supposed to come out on march 29th but like last week we bumped it forward just a week so everyone's getting it a week early now man oh that's a new one because uh all during like the past whatever three years everyone's been like my book was supposed to come out like september but now i don't know maybe february <laughs> so that's great <laughs> you got bumped up but uh, yep. the book is called dead romans Um, and it's excellent. I mean, I, I read the first issue and, um, it is, as the title implies, it has to deal with the, uh, ancient Roman empire. So, uh, I do have to ask you the airplane question. Do you like gladiator movies? (laughs) Yeah, I do. I'm sure you've heard this. Absolutely. That comment. Yeah. (laughs) 
I'm not sure if it's in the context he's making the joke about in the movie, but I love movies that have to do with sand, swords and sandals, man. Nice, nice, nice. No, that's awesome. I mean, it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful looking book. Uh, now, I don't want to massacre your artist name. It's Nick Mur. You, you're going to have to help Nick me. Nick I was going to say it correctly. Damn it. I'm known <laughs> yeah. for saying things wrong. So, no, I mean, this is a beautiful looking book. It's a great story. It's it's obviously about the you know the ancient Roman Empire, which is not something that you see a lot of out there in the marketplace. Although uh, last year I did interview someone who was doing another book on ancient Rome and was a huge fan of uh, the HBO series Rome as oh, well. Me too. Yeah. You know, it's I, interesting that the HBO series Rome yeah. sort of played like a role as a catalyst for the series because I, I, I said this in like a, an interview I did like a week ago because uh -huh. they asked the question and it got the brain moving. You know, you start remembering things. Of course. I did an interview um, years ago, uh, and we were talking about uh, the idea of spoilers in in, in the, the idea of like if something you know how something's going to go, can it ruin it for you? And the person I was talking to, they were saying that they loved the series HBO, like Rome from HBO, but they knew all the things were going to happen because they were a student of history. Uh. And but at the same time, like it didn't matter. They still loved watching it all play out because it's not what happens. It's how it happens. Sure. And that conversation sort of was like the impetus of thinking, I love the story of Tudorburg Forest. And a lot of people know what happens in there, but I can still do something unique and different and sort of like shine a light on it in a, in a different way. So sure, that's sure. sort of like how it got in there. Sure. Well, the story is in the details, right? You're never going to know exactly. the exact details. So that's where you can take liberties, correct? Absolutely. Well, yeah, like I tried to, there's a lot of things that I was very adamant I wasn't going to take any liberties with uh -huh, because uh -huh. there are just, there's just some really cool elements at, at play with the logistics of what goes on. That was Teeny Howard, by the way. I meant to mention that. It was an interview with Teeny Howard. Okay. Uh, she's a huge fan of the series HBO, Rome from HBO. But so there were things that I didn't want to change in the story. Sure. Uh, because the story about Tudorburg and how it happened is, is thoroughly fascinating given the era that it took place in. Because this is 2,000 years ago. It's 9 AD. Yeah. And there's this dude, Arminius, who was... He was German, and he was taken as a hostage as a boy and brought to Rome and raised as a Roman noble and became a general in the army and was very well respected and on his own merits on the battlefield achieved the rank of a keat, which is like the same as a knight in ancient Rome. Sure. And then when they decide to make Rome an actual – Germania an actual province of Rome – they have this new governor, Varus, and he brings with him this guy, Arminius, who is there to act as like a go-between the Germans and the Romans. But when he, Arminius gets to, to Germania, he sees what the Romans are doing. He sees so many villages where his kin, his cousins, his extended family, his tribe, the Sharutsi, where they had all these villages that are gone now. And the people that live there have been massacred, have been crucified because they didn't pay taxes or they let a raid against a Roman supply train or something like that. And he develops this idea where I know how the Romans fight. So I need to make them fight on their heels, like make them fight in a way they're not used to fighting. So over the course of two years, he unites all of these tribes that all hate each other uh -huh. under, the, under the flag of you might hate each other, but you hate Rome more. So 
follow my plan and we'll win. And over two years, they prepare massive earthen walls along this road and they hide them all. And those aspects, those fascinating aspects of him having the wherewithal to organize 20,000 people that all hate each other over the course of years and in secret, and then over four or five days executing this prolonged ambush because it's a stretch of around 100 kilometers of road that they attack over and over and over over four days. To understand those logistics, I think, is amazing. Sure. And I was very focused on the story actually takes place day and night over four days because I didn't like the idea of having like two or three pitched battles and that was it. I liked the idea of constant, constant ambushing and fighting throughout the entire duration of the story. And if you pay attention to the way scenes happen as the story moves along through all six issues, when it's light and dark, if you add it up at the end of those six issues, it is four days. And uh -huh. that, to me, was really important. There are some things I did change, but that was one of the things I was like, no, that has to stay because that, not just as a, like a guy that loves history, but as somebody who likes a struggle against the odds, that's fascinating to me. And sure. I, I hope that people like agree, you know? Well, so let's go back a little bit because, I mean, we jumped into the whole like Roman history lesson, which I love because I love doing interviews. I don't know that much about like Roman history. I'm I'm a big fan of like 20th century history and and like 19th century, like stuff like that. Um, you know, World War Two, World War One, you know, all the, all those things that led up to, you know, kind of where we are now. But um, wh why don't you go into a little bit of a short pitch about what Dead Romans is about, because you went into the history, but for yeah, those of us sorry. who don't know, no, I mean, it's great, and it's obviously you have a passion for it, so that's fantastic, too, because you're like, you just like went right into it, and I appreciate that. I, I want talkers on the podcast, but um, what is Dead Romans about? Like, do you have like a simple sort of like, uh, you know, I always say like elevator pitch for it, or? Absolutely. So it's the most... One of the biggest defeats the Roman Empire ever suffered. Uh -huh. 50,000 people die over the course of four days. And we follow three people trying to survive and the inner workings of the Germanic tribes as their giant ambush almost completely implodes. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's yeah. So this this whole series, which is going to be six issues, I didn't know if it was ongoing or a miniseries or or any anything like that. Um, it's six issues, and it happens over four days of this sort of what campaign, like you said, or ambush, or yeah, it's four days, and we kind of follow the leader of the Germanic peoples, uh, Arminius, yeah. as he organizes and attacks the Romans, but we also follow. Uh, these three Romans, Honoria, who is frumentarii, like a spy, assassin, information gatherer, Regulus, who is Praetorian Guard, meaning like elite bodyguard of the governor, and an auxiliary captain, Ipo, who is actually a Gaul. Now, the connection between those three and Arminius is that Honoria and Arminius are madly in love with each other, yes. as you've seen in the very beginning. And the whole reasoning for Arminius is 
he needs to get this done now is all laid out in those opening nine pages because this whole this whole ambush isn't just to him about freeing the Romans. It's about freeing Honoria because he wants to make her his queen. And that is a huge deal to him. And I, I always tell people that at its core, Dead Romans is a love story because I think all of us can identify with the idea of throwing everything away for the sake of love. We've all been sure. there. We've all like, and, and that's a very human thing. And I think that that element is very timeless. And I also believe a big factor that like a big moral of the story in this one is you really need to have open channels of communication in your relationship. Make sure that everything you're doing adds up. <laughs> yes. And that's all going to play out as the story goes along. You'll see. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, are we freeing the Germans or are we freeing the Romans? We're freeing the Germans, the Germanic people. Yeah. You said freeing the, the Romans Rome. a little, a couple yeah, of seconds sorry. ago. You threw me sorry, off. I'm, I was like, Oh, okay. I'm, so we are freeing the Germans. Germans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Germanic tribes, and there's a coalition of around 30, 32 tribes, depending on which version of history you want. And they're all been conquered and uh, subdued by Rome. And so Arminius has united them to drive the Romans out. But he's in love with a Roman spy assassin who herself isn't even Roman. She's Syrian. Yeah. Uh, she was Syrian, brought to Rome by brought to Rome by the governor Varus. Got it, got it. So as I understand it, the Romans are coming uh, to the aid of their allies to the north, or something like that, yes. right? And yep. the Germanic tribes are sort of like scattered, correct? And they're like all they're, over the countryside, or they're they're all there because there was no need to go north. That is another thing that Arminius played them to make them believe there was an ambush happening in the north. Oh, did I just spoil it? <laughs> no, you didn't, because anybody, that's the thing, is anybody who knows the history knows this is what happens. Yeah, but do, uh, comic, do comic fans really know the history? Like, are they going to know the history? It's shocking because, like, I've... I've They'll I've know when Red Kryptonite first appeared, but they may not know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, like, you could say that, like, Arminius is the Kryptonite to the to the the Roman army's Superman in this particular instance. <laughs> sure, 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 yeah. sure, sure. No, I mean, reading the book and stuff like that, even without a knowledge of, you know, particularly knowledge of Roman history, like everything is like very well laid out. I mean, the relationships are spelled out and obviously there's the love story there. And, uh, you know, the female character, obviously, you know, very, so I reminded me a little bit of Red Sonia, like when I was yes. kind of like reading the book and, uh, the art, I should say, Nick's art reminded me very much of like old uh, John J. Muth. You know who that is? Yeah. Yeah. So it's excellent. I mean, if you know who John J. Muth is, like uh, Nick is like, you, you're going to want to track this book down because it's it's breathtaking. I mean, I, when I opened up the PDF that I have, I was like, holy cow, like this is kind of like painterly, but on another level. So recommending He's it on on that. Sorry. Yeah, he's fantastic. Yeah. Nick is Nick's art is fantastic. He, uh, I was intimidated to ask him to even do, uh, the book. Oh, he, really? He did this book. There was this guy that stole all kinds of bicycles here in the GTA. Okay. Uh, and it was sort of like, like a, not an urban legend, but just one of those stories that everybody in the Toronto area knew about. And Nick did a comic about it. And that's how I first heard about Nick and we were at a con together 
And I had this idea tinkering around and he was there selling another book he worked on called The Voyager. And he was a few tables down. And when I, somebody had a copy of the book and I was, they were like buying stuff at my table. And I was like, can I see that? And it's like leaving through it. Yeah. I was like, this is the dude that did Kank. And then I went and I talked to him about it being like just soft pitching. You know what it's like when you're soft pitching with an artist trying to sure. get them to bite on an idea. Yeah. And as soon as I mentioned, like, and he goes, so there'll be, I get to draw a lot of like Roman stuff. Right. And I'm like, yeah, I go, we should really <laughs> talk about this. Cause he was explaining to me that like, from an artist perspective, there is the visuals at play with Roman storytelling and all that are so cool and so powerful. He goes, it's all so striking. And from an artist's perspective, I've been waiting to draw something like that. And oh, nice. that opening, when you open the book and you have, you open with a splash page of the rainy Germanic forest and the silhouetted scouts, yeah. like at the front of the army. And then you turn the page over and it's that double splash of yeah. the Roman call. And it's just, when he showed me the pages, <laughs> I had this moment of like, wow, it's a real comic book. <laughs> well, you know? I would even say it's even further than that. Because, I mean, like, yeah. honestly, like, you're looking at it and it's breathtaking. Like, that, I'm looking at that double page sort of spread right now uh, on my tablet. And I'm just like, I, I mean, it is. It's really, I mean, do you is he digital or is he working traditionally? I mean, I would imagine yeah, it. He does it digital. It's okay. usually digital, but the, his his style is he's very meticulous with what he does. Yeah, and we have a lot of back and forths on things. Yeah, so there's open channels of communication. His pencils are really like rough layouts, but oh, okay. his, I, I've seen his pencils and his pencils are better than a lot of inks that I end up seeing in terms of like detail and where the dialogue and the bubbles are and all that are going to go. Sure. We have a lot of stuff that gets changed and shifted around as we move forward with it. Cause we're very much working together. Yeah. I've told the story to him and he tells a story to the audience, you know? Sure. So he's very on it about making sure that the right things are in the right places. I am. I'm very lucky to be working with, Nick and also our 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 editor Allison uh, Allison O'Toole has been a phenomenal phenomenal resource and help in terms of making sure that I execute the story properly and nice. reveal the right things to the reader. You know, nice. I'm going to make a quick recommendation that you should sell that double page spread just the art of it at a, at conventions it's like well I that's think, i'm i'm not touching nick's art if he wants to sell that he can no sell i'm it. telling like, i'm saying like yeah. if he's listening or you talk to him you should be like christian horn a part-time fanboy said <laughs> you should, <laughs> yeah. because i mean it's awesome like print that baby up on canvas somebody yeah. will buy that like it is just great i mean it's yeah it's i mean the whole book is breathtaking like i said it reminded me a little bit of john j muth who is like to me a legend um, you know, the old Wolverine and Havoc miniseries yes. and other stuff that he's done. So, I mean, so you mentioned earlier that you went to military school, correct? When yeah. you were younger. And so did that Belgium. foster your love of history? Did yes. That, yeah. hundred percent it did. So I lived in Southern Belgium. Okay. Um, right along the border of France and uh, my family's anybody listening, my family's military. We just lived there. We weren't like, we didn't have a summer house and we lived in the Pyrenees. Or anything like <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. no. We're just like straight up military families. And that's right by NATO headquarters, by the way, a lot of 
Uh, it's a massive base uh, with huge American and German and British and Italian sections. It's all there. Wow. But for a school trip, we went to a village, like a recreated village of a Belgii village. And the Belgii are actually the tribe that Belgium was named after. Okay. And Julius Caesar mentions them specifically a few times in his diaries about the Gallic Wars. But he never wanted to fight the Belgii because they just never surrendered. And we went to this Belgii village and then it was right by some Roman ruins. And so we're like nine, ten years old. And you you get blown away by what you see when you're that age. But the context of what you're seeing doesn't really sink in, mm. like the overall history. But it really did spark something. And I remember walking along and looking at these reconstructed villages and understanding that like 2000 years ago, there was these huge battles that were taking place all around here. And then reading like Asterix and Obelisk and all that stuff oh, as yeah. a kid and getting into the history like that. And I, I think that a lot of people, um, they brush things like that aside as childish and, and silly and whatnot. But when you're nine, you're not going to sit down and watch HBO's Rome with your family. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah, but sure, you, sure. You, you can develop a spark for history with things like that. And I don't think of Asterix and Obelisk as like historical text, but I think there's a real strong value in terms of giving kids an interest in history because it, it sparks something that sits with you. And then later on you read, and there's times where I'm reading things and I'll have these callbacks to being a kid and reading those magazine sized comic books from the school library and be like, I remember reading about this, but not really understanding. And now what's happening makes a lot of sense. So yeah, they would as a kid and seeing all that history. Cause when my friends were learning about like the middle ages and all that stuff, the village we lived in had uh, a castle that was originally built as a Mont and Bailey by Clovis, who is like the grandfather of Charlemagne. And, and oh. all that history like really makes you fast because if you see it, like if you see it's there and you've touched it, it's it's a it's a really powerful sensation. Well, do you, you know? think Europe also like just being in Europe? Because, I mean, I've been to Europe uh, a couple of times and I, we it's funny. We were just talking. I was just talking about it with my wife the other night about like the first time I went to Europe and it was Austria. And it was kind of like the first time as an American where I was like, oh, other places are nice. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like other places are, can be nicer than what we have in the U.S. You know what I mean? Like they're beautiful. Like, like I mean, obviously I had an awareness of that. My, my mother worked for the United Nations growing up, but I'd never been to Europe up until like early 20s, you know, or maybe, yeah, early 20s it would have been. And just being in Austria, I was like, oh my God. And you're just, you get a sense of a feel of like, oh, yeah. this is old. I Right. Exactly. And there's, yeah. I think that there's there's some really there's some really cool like vibes you can pick up when you do things like that. I've, my, I've always wanted to go to to like Egypt and stuff. Oh, yeah, I've yeah, always yeah. wanted to go there. There's a great documentary called uh, In the Footsteps of Alexander by this BBC guy, Michael Wood. OK. Where he retraces the entire journey of Alexander the Great on foot. And it's amazing and and ever since i watched it i was like that's the retirement plan <laughs> that's what I do it. but i don't know if i'll ever get to but it's something nice to think about and i would love i would love 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 uh if if this book 
does well enough that I could go to a con in like Spain or oh. in, in, in Italy or, or anywhere in France, anywhere about that. There's actually like I call out Marseille in the book, not with the name Marseille, but in the name of the original Roman colony that was very close to it. Uh-huh. Because one of the characters is from right around there. And I actually took the time to find where certain recreated settlements are to try and pinpoint where this guy was from. Oh, wow. But all those things, like, I, I'm, I'm really anal about minutia and making sure things line up. It's oh. sort of like when you watch a movie that takes place in 1971 and they're listening to a song that wasn't released till 1974. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Stuff yeah. like that drives me crazy. So when sure. I'm writing myself, I'm very keen to make sure I line up all those details. Sure, sure, sure. So do you think, are you a fan of, because it sounds to me like, and maybe it's just uh, an assumption I'm making based off of the past, like, time that we've been speaking is it military history that you're like a big fan of it sounds like campaigns battles and stuff like that or history in a broader sense history in a broader sense okay sure and and like you had mentioned like loving world war one and stuff i'm a huge huge fiend about like world war one history so crazy world war one is so crazy world war one is just like one of those things where i'm just like i've watched several documentaries on it and i'm just like why like like like, what are you doing we nick and i actually have batted the idea around about doing uh a story uh, like a a historical horror story set in world war one in serbia with the oh. the giant march that took place with like hundreds of thousands of people, and yeah. we if we got to the point where we could do that, it it's pretty creepy the stuff that we came up oh. with. It's pretty out there. You should do um, it. You should yeah, do it. Oh, I would read that. Absolutely, all in due time. Um, <laughs> I, I think the thing of that that you see so much stuff about military history, because that tends to be the thing that is the most well-documented. So I think that when people are reading up on history, that's the stuff that they tend to gravitate more because so many more things have been written about it. Um, But there was a great... Well, don't you think that uh, doc- sort of thing also is also glorified, right? Like it that's is, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's and, and it's and especially dangerous. for like young boys, it's like oh yeah yeah yeah. 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 There's but the there's a documentary that I I watched just about the Germanic peoples, and uh, this was years ago before this book was even around. But it was it focused more so on the day to day lives which led to a need to go out and hunt and which intended oh. like then hunting grounds started to cross over and it was shortages of food led to war, but also the development of agriculture. But then one tribe wouldn't want to start having agriculture. They would just steal from another. And <laughs> that, that like day to day little lives, which you're talking about history. That's like, some cases like four or 5,000 years old. And, yeah. and it's what was one of the cooler aspects of this documentary was they talked about at the same time that they're still living in mud huts in Germany, they're already building pyramids in Egypt. And oh, wow. it's, it's, it's strange to think about 
that. Like yeah. things happening, those things existed at the same time. Yeah. And when the Sphinx head was being carved, there were still mammoths. You know? Oh, wow. There, yeah, there were lions in Europe and mammoths. Well, and yeah. No, no one thinks about those things. But but it's the day-to-day lives of regular people, to me, are just as fascinating. It's just, it's a harder sell for me to sell that story than it was to sell this big, brash, in-your-face, highs, lows, drama, excitement, adventure. You know, that gets people going more there's a great book called the name of the rose which oh is a yeah. murder mystery set okay. in the middle ages and that's not something that you ever really see done but it was a murder mystery and yeah. it was like a crime story set it set like a thousand years ago and again it it's weird that that doesn't happen more but yeah. you bring up a great point i really think we need to see more stuff like that there's more yeah. going on than just the big wars and campaigns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely tend to, to to drift towards documentaries about like historical figures and stuff like yeah. that. But like uh, American Experience is something that I love on on uh, PBS, and it's just like an amazing program. Like, I actually started watching that when my daughter was a baby because it was like she would wake me up in the middle of the night and we couldn't fall back asleep, and I was like, all right, I guess I'm watching this. It was like the only entry. This is before streaming, right? Like, or <laughs> You know, yeah. or right when streaming was beginning. So, you know, uh, so it was like, all right, this is on PBS. I guess this is the only interesting thing uh, that I'll watch. Uh, right. That's on right now in the middle of the evening. But but yeah, it's it's fascinating to me just like you talking about like the Sphinx and what's happening in Europe and stuff like we live in such an interconnected world yes. and we all know like what's going on right now. It's hard to just imagine a time where it's like, you know, Native Americans were and then the Vikings were over here and like all these things are happening concurrently and nobody is really aware of what the other yes tribes, cultures, whatever are doing. I mean, it's fascinating stuff. It's almost There's, like alternate realities on Earth. Totally. And, yeah. and you bring up a point about think, people not knowing what's going on. In the story, the in Dead Romans, the Roman column that's marching through the woods is 20 kilometers long. Wow. And so you don't have walkie-talkies. You don't have yeah. cell phones. So the front of the column gets attacked. The people even halfway down the line have no idea what's going on. That's 10 kilometers ahead. Yeah. And all of a sudden they have to stop, but they don't know why they're stopping. Why are they stopping? And then the people <laughs> at the rear, they're walking along. They get attacked. The people at the front and in the middle, they don't know what's happening in the rear. Oh, so wow. at the end of the day, the in the second issue, there's a really interesting scene where you finally get to camp. And then they really start to realize the severity of what's happening. And there was no option to like regroup at the time because they're stretched so thin. There's oh, no wow. way of knowing what's going on. And that, that absence of communication brings in a real element of terror. And I think that we live in an era where when we're disconnected, it causes stress. Yeah. You, know, you immediately, like when you, that feeling you get when you've left your cell phone at home and you don't know where it is. Yeah. Like there's like a little panic. People back then lived with that all the time. They, there was no interconnection. And so most of the story has this really disorienting vibe of they just don't know what's going on. Yeah. yeah and they're yeah. surrounded like they're in a dark woods in the rain in a swamp. And all they can hear 
in the darkness because there's no light and they don't want to start a fire because they'll get found, they can hear the screams of people being sacrificed, the screams of people being tortured. And it's being echoed through the trees all around. And you can hear a horn over here. And you're just surrounded by auditory chaos and confusion and horror. And as things get along, I think Nick, with his visuals, does a fantastic job of conveying the utter terror of the situation. Wow. You know? Because it really is terrifying. And we really wanted to put that emotion of fear and terror and disorientation into the book. Yeah. And that is juxtaposed with the main characters being so profoundly, desperately needing to find each other just to rescue each other from what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And the visuals do a great job. I'm really excited for the book to come out in particular. There's some pages in the second issue, which I think if you were doubting the tone of what you were getting into in the first, the second will really just push you right in there, man. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I've only been able to see the first, but I'm looking at it and I can just imagine uh, if you are talking about that atmospheric, moody, sort of like even creepy vibe, like I can imagine that it gets delivered in spades with this artist because... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. One of the things I wanted to ask you, I mean, you mentioned World War One before, um, and, and, you know, you're a fan of history, but why the Roman empire, why this particular era, uh, especially, I mean, is it, do you see it as being sort of particularly interesting or? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There's, well, it's, and why? it's fascinating to me because the impact is still there. People, when you live, like you said, when you went to Austria and you see these things, there's roads in Europe that are still used that were built by the Romans 2000 years ago. Oh, wow. There's aqued, there's aqueducts that are still there, yeah. like fragments of aqueducts. And the, we're not talking like they're reconstructed. It's like, no, they were just built and lasted. Yeah. Not that they're being used now, they're ruins, you know, but they're still there. And they're, whenever you watch like fantasy stories, they always talk, and, and the Lord of the Rings does this a lot. They talk about the old stonework, the old this was so great. They did these amazing things. That all harkens back to the medieval era when they found things built by the Romans and they spoke about them with utter reverence because they must have been so advanced to build these incredible things. And you could argue to an extent they were. I think that, and I worry that some people could say that a fascination with Rome is equivalent with glorifying Rome. And I don't want anyone to think that I think they were the best. Well, we did a lot of fascinating things, but they did a lot of horrible things. too. Yeah. No, I mean, my my daughter's actually studying a lot of this stuff this year in in high school. And and it's funny because I was watching this show. Have you seen this thing on Netflix, like Kunk on Earth, like with the and she's kind of like a dumb historian with my wife right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've only seen the first two episodes, but she says something in it. She's quizzing one of the historians. And that's something that my daughter said, which is like the Greeks invented it, but the Romans perfected it or the Romans stole it and perfected it. And it's funny. And my my daughter was saying, like, she's like, not a lot of people know that they think that the Romans like invented all this stuff. But she's like, they 
really took it from the Greeks. And I'm like, great, I'm a dad, I'm learning things. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? So, I mean, uh, like, yeah, it's funny how like Rome... That, and, and that's the same thing. It's like you look at the United States as all like almost as an empire, and that's what we are. We're a melting pot, and we take exactly. everything from other cultures. It's it's very interesting the way that that kind of filters out through history. The thing with Rome that I find fascinating uh-huh. is that the Roman identity is always evolving because the, at least from a military perspective, the Roman army and the legions went through multiple stages of evolution. And when you're talking about the high early imperial period of Rome, like Augustus, which is where the era that this story takes place in, the Romans were the most pragmatic military ever. If they found something that was better than what they had, they captured it, they studied it, and they incorporated it. The most famous Roman piece of equipment, the gladius, the sword, was Spanish. They took it from the Spanish. Uh-huh. They realized that the weapons they were using had a had way better steel in Spain. Why? Let's conquer it. We're not going to injure any. <laughs> we're not like we're going to conquer it, and then we're going to learn about how they did it. We're not just going to go in and kill everybody. We're going to go in and figure out that was really good. Why is your metal better? They learned about car- putting like carbonation in the steel. Like where you put carbon, you heat the steel up, and the charcoal absorbs the carbon into it. And so the steel becomes much stronger and more pliable. It holds an edge better. So they take it. They incorporate it into their own. The Punic Wars with Carthage, the Carthaginians were the superpower at the time. They had this massive navy. The Romans captured their ships. They studied them. Then they made their own. Like in (laughs) Rome throughout... Sounds like a corporation. Yes. So (laughs) when they went to Gaul, the Gauls had amazing cavalry compared to Rome. The Romans just said, all right, your cavalry can join our army. You're the new auxiliary. You have your own cavalry, but you're part of us. And so consistently, that is what Rome would do. And in doing so, they're very much like the Borg. We will incorporate your, (laughs) your, your identity into our own. And There was very much a sense of like Roman superiority, but there was also a very pragmatic sense of if it works, we're not going to ruin it. We're going to incorporate it into our own selves. And Uh so the Roman legions were very much comprised of people from all around the Roman Empire. And they, they did something very interesting that is still done in militaries today where they got you out of your homeland and they Mm. got you out of your homeland because they knew that if you're a bunch of Gallic recruits in the Roman army, if they leave you in Gaul, there's a chance if there's a revolt, the Gallic troops will side with the Gauls. So they take the Gallic troops, they put them in Africa. They take the African troops and the Middle Eastern troops, they put them up in Germania. Why? Because if it comes down to choosing a side, they're going to choose Rome's side because otherwise they don't get to go home. And that's another interesting thing that you find when you're dealing with archaeology on Roman sites is you'll find people from all around the world all over the place because they were very big about exchanging and moving everyone around. Mm. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like they were sort of the great cultural appropriators <laughs> like they came in Absolutely. and they, they took it over but which is kind of a smart thing if you're going to take 
take over, right? And then my yeah. understanding too is that once they took over a region, maybe they weren't so like tyrannical or heavy handed, like they sort of oh, incorporated their. Was that? Was, I would say they were very, very heavy handed. Okay, I think okay. That, well, certain certain governors and certain leaders were more heavy handed than others. Sure. Um, and then. So, like, but some were much more focused on the civic aspect. I think it really mm. is one person to the other, but there was no shortage of people eager to see Rome fall in oh, on sure. itself, which sure. doesn't happen if you're just the greatest person. Or you could say that you were the one good person surrounded by a bunch of jerks. But <laughs> in history, I don't think that that's really... There are people who will argue that Rome and Roman society was the best ever, but it it was good if you were rich and you were Roman, but mm. most people weren't rich or Roman, so it probably wasn't all that great for them, you know? Sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, Where have I heard that know? before? Yeah, like, I don't know. There's, hmm. The don't Gallic know. Wars in particular are really interesting. Uh -huh. um, when Caesar had conquered all of Gaul, like France, all the way up to the English Channel, he conquered everything. And then when he went across the Channel, uh, at Singtao Rix, I think that's his name. He was a he was a Gallic leader, and the the Gallic Wars when Caesar came back to fight the the United Gallic people. I think he was a Vernii was his tribe. Um, that is one of the most insane things that you'll ever read about. And I would love to do a story about it, but you can't do that in six issues. Let me tell you. That's <laughs> it's going to have to be an epic omnibus. That you're If gonna... you've seen HBO's Rome, the very beginning, he's subduing that one general, that one enemy general. That's Sing Tao Ricks. That is... Um, the leader of the Gallic peoples. And it's the, I, for, I forget what the, what the battle was, but it's where the, uh, the, Ga the Gauls were in one place, in one camp, and Caesar built a wall around it. And then another army came to attack from the outside, and so Caesar built another wall facing the other way. So it was like a donut. And the Romans oh, wow. were inside fighting on both sides. And that was... Caesar's big do or die moment. And I, the name escapes me right now. <laughs> it's really, really, because the beginning of Rome, um, aside from that sex scene that is very memorable featuring Attia, which is the very first shot of the show, uh, the next shot is Caesar accepting the surrender of the Gauls. And that big battle happens right before the HBO show Rome begins. Oh, wow. 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 I love that you like know this stuff like inside out. Did you learn all this? Like in like once you were in military school, or did you did you go to college for history? Like what? No. Where did you pick up all this? Like were you just like were you like the, the teacher's favorite student like in school? Dude, oh, like, dude I, I dropped out of high school. Oh, I didn't, OK. I, didn't, I dropped out of high school. and I worked in a restaurant and then I had to go back to get grades good enough to go to community college, which I also dropped out of, if you must know. Uh, <laughs> the, all this stuff is just like just reading and, and books and, and and having a love of reading and a, a love of learning. It, it's I think it's really important to impart that on our kids because there's so many fascinating things that 
happen and patterns of behavior and the way civilizations rise and the way civilizations fall and the things that people do. And humans are really the same as we were 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago. Yeah. We want the same things. We do the same things. And I, I think that there's a lot of very universal themes and it doesn't matter where in the world or what point in history people there's there's a there's a line that my dad always uses because he was in the navy and he's been everywhere and he always says no matter where you go in the world everyone loves their kids and everyone laughs at a fart he goes those are the two <laughs> things no matter where you go everyone loves their kids and they all laugh at a fart like that's, that's so it. great no i mean that that's interesting that you say that because i mean as particularly as far as like people being the same throughout history and in the modern age because it is a thing that i've said about particular leaders of my country where I've been like, do you think that just because those dudes are wearing like a suit and tie that they're civilized? Like that's, yeah. that's, they're not civilized. Like they are not, they are not any more civilized than whatever somebody in ancient, they're just wearing garb that makes us think that they're, but deep down inside they're, they're not, you know, as less savage you know, or less power hungry than, you know, whatever, an emperor in Rome or Caesar, you know, they're willing to do just as much. It's just a different environment, different technology and stuff like that. But the base, you know, programming, as it were, is there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Humans are humans no matter where you go. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even thousands of years later. Yes. It's Alessia, by the way. I just I had to look it up. It's the Battle of Alessia. <laughs> it's great. It's the final battle of the Yeah, because the there's a comic Wars. fan out there who's like, uh-uh. Yes, like, you yeah, didn't get you, that you, right. You've got to name drop it. You yeah. didn't mention it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the Battle of Alessia. Just that's in case great. anybody's curious to read up on it. It's that's really so wild. great. That's, that's awesome. That's a, so talk to me about, like, because this is not your first comic book, right? No, 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 no. I've been doing indie comics for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I've been doing indie comics for forever. Adam Gorham and I, who, who does one of the variants, we did a book back in like 2009 uh, called Teuton, which was like a historical fantasy book oh, okay. uh, set in Lithuania in the Northern Crusades that dealt with all kinds of mythology and all that stuff. And, and that was really the first big long format comic that I ever did. We did that over the course of like three years and we put out three trade paperbacks. And Oh, wow. And that, I'm going to have to that, find those. That's great. You, we had, okay. What's interesting is, you know, golden apple. Yeah. LA, yeah. They, we were at C2E2 like in 2011, I think. And they had the original trades and they, they, bought the optioning rights to adapt it as a show or a movie or something. Nothing ever happened with it. And it's funny because they asked us, they are like, can you write us up like a one pager kind of thing? We're like, we can't encapsulate this genius story. In one page. Like, <laughs> the most pompous, stupid way to talk. And, like, <laughs> and it's just like, I feel like I really dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. But yeah, like, so we've got the three trades of that. It's called Teuton. It was an indie book. You can buy it on, uh, is it Kablam? They do the indie comic book Oh, yeah, printing. yeah, yeah, the printing you on can, demand. Yeah, printing on demand. You can get it off of there because that's where we did all of our printing for it. Oh, cool. Um, and, and I was always really happy with those books. I was pleased with them. There's a lot of flaws that I go back with, but that was like the first big thing that I'd done outside of like 24-hour comic book challenges and like zines and anthologies. Oh, and cool. Since then, it's mostly been like, 
uh, anthology work. Uh, I did a sci-fi book called The Fourth Planet for uh, an independent Canadian production company called Chapter House, uh, which I was, I worked with this this uh, this Polish artist uh, Miko Maciejic, and I've always been so proud of that book. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of production issues within the imprint, which is frustrating. And that can happen a lot when you're dealing with a smaller imprint. And, and it and it's it's a bit it, it upsets me because I really poured my heart and soul into that book. And, and I did something that I thought was really unique. Um, and Miko has this uh, it's like very it's very artsy watercolor style. And okay. it was such a unique book in terms of its visuals. Um, and I, we've always said that we wanted to finish the story because we got about half of it done and then we're not good. They weren't going to print it anymore. They wanted to go online and, and Miko and I just decided we're, it's not worth the money we're investing into it if we can't sell the prints. Sure. So we kind of backed off on it, which is frustrating. That's the game, you know? Yeah. Um, and then right when the, right when the pandy happened, uh, <laughs> oh, I had... I had three books that were in the process of getting the contracts together. And when pencils down happened, everything, everything stopped. Like uh, all of the, the, the books that I had in the work stopped. And I kind of resigned myself, you know what, just whatever I tried, it didn't work. Um, it's not going to happen. And I started working on uh, a radio play, a star uh, Wars radio play there's just like a fan one. And I got like a bunch of star Wars people I liked together and we did that. And I'm working on season two of that radio play right now. Oh, where can they uh, find that? Where can people find just, it? We're about to relaunch it actually. Cause with the second season, we remixed all the episodes of the first season, revoiced a bunch of it. Oh. Uh, and, and that's coming out like in March or April. I, I, I haven't really decided when I want to drop it because I want to make sure that I can do a weekly release. Yeah. And that, play the best way to describe it is like it's platoon meets star wars and i really love the ken burns vietnam series oh yeah um, great so stuff i found a very a very similar element in a lot of these interviews with these soldiers like talking about how you know, my father fought in the Second World War. My cousins fought in Korea. Oh, have Vietnam you ever came. read the Nom? The Nom? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I have read so many books and comics about it. Uh, okay. Nick Brockhausen, We Few, uh, Philip Caputo's Rumors of War. Like Philip Caputo's Rumors of War is. Uh, some people bemoan that it it starts like it for the first half. He's not even in Vietnam, but I think that the context of what he's laying out makes it much more important when things start happening. Uh -huh. uh, and so that war memoir style is what I incorporated into this book, Mud 79, uh, which follows a guy who, you know, he's on, he's on this like outer rim planet. Uh, his family are farmers. He hates being on the farm. He doesn't want to be a mechanic. Uh, he doesn't have the sports skills to make it as a pro Limmy player. So he decides... I'm just going to join the Imperial Army because this is five years after the Clone Wars ended. Okay. And they still see the Empire as the evolution of the Republic. And a lot of his family went and fought in the Clone Wars. He's very, they're very proud of it. So why shouldn't I? And it's got that same line of, 
these guys saw their grandfathers and fathers fight in Vietnam. So I'm going to fight in North world war two. So I'm going to go fight in Vietnam. Uh-huh. But then once he's in there, once he's shipped to where he's going, he starts realizing this is not what I thought. This it was is not be. all it was cracked yeah. up to be. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. and it's, and it's like told from like a war memoir style. And that's a good idea. Season, the first season, uh, ran, it had 12 episodes. The runtime was about 10 hours and 40 minutes. There wow. was 50, 52 cast members. And the second season, which is all written. I'm in the production process right now. Cause I, cause I, working in radio i also did production for years so i did all the mixing and voicing and mastering on everything and the mix is what takes a long time it's that is it's in the works now so it's called mud 79 you can find it if you look for it uh on spotify and apple podcasts and all that stuff it's out there look for it but I would implore you to wait until the second season. Drops. I don't know. You, you, you built it know. up pretty well. I don't, yeah, but I don't like, know. The, but wait, what was it called? I mean, Mud 79. It was Mud called 70, Mud 79. Oh, Mud 79. Be- okay. Because they're mud troopers. They're not stormtroopers. They're oh. mud troopers. They're the lowest of the low because they're just the general army. And he talks about how much they hate the stormtroopers because when the Empire wants to look good and show face, they send the stormtroopers. But when they want something cleaned up and when they want things done, they send in the army and that's the mud troopers. And he's like, we're mud. We're the lowest of the low. And so that the, the nature of him being this lowly mud trooper really plays a big role in the way the story all plays out. Oh, and wow. I'm, I was, yeah, I was really I'm really proud of it. And uh, I, I wrote the first episode came out like, well, the first season dropped about two years ago. And it's been a while for me to get this going because over the course of me saying, I'm done with comics, <laughs> finish the pitch pages for Dead Romans. And then he's like, and then he sent them to me I'm like, oh my God, dude, these are amazing. Yeah. And so, because the Dead Romans is like a dream book for me. Like I was so excited to do it that I had this idea that this isn't your first big book. This is your second. So I was working on it fastidiously to get it done because I had anticipated those books that were in the green light phase at the beginning of the pandemic to be the stepping stone to make this happen. And then when those fell apart, I'd completely thrown everything into the fire. And then when Dead Romans came along, I was like, well, I might as well throw it out. And I have to say uh, a huge amount of love to Jim Valentino and everyone at Shadowline for not just giving me the opportunity to do the book, but for being so unbelievably supportive and understanding every step of the process. Because this is my first real book, and Jim has held my hand every step of the way. And I have, have screwed up in terms of like comic book protocol and things that you do and who you message about what, but he's been so understanding and helpful in imparting this advice on me. And again, Allison O'Toole, uh, our editor, who we are so lucky to be working with, she does all kinds of stuff with Chip Zdarsky. And to have that, that much knowledge and experience and professionalism that Allison brings to the table along with Nick's art is just makes me profoundly, profoundly lucky. And 
Jose Villarubia does the colors from issue two to the end of the arc. And I mean, dude, he, he did Aerosmith. So he's like the real nice. dude. And yeah. so like, I, I, and, and, uh, and Andrew Thompson, Thomas, who did our letters, like I, I just wrote it, but those people all made it happen as a team. I'm very fortunate. I don't anyone want anyone to think that I'm like, this dude who made it all happen. I am part of it. <laughs> so you're machine. not standing there going, how can I no. encapsulate my genius yes. into what? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like Allison has been so great in that she's always saying, like, you gotta, she's like, you've got a great story. You should be proud. You should be confident. Let's just take that great story and make it better. That's amazing. So she is, she's fantastic. The, what's interesting is she helped me rework the ending because I had an ending. I don't want to give anything away, but I want to say that she really helped make the ending so much more like it's sad. It was a sad ending. Yeah. But Allison made it genuinely depressing. Oh, (laughs) wow. Okay. Something to look forward to. No, I mean, that was, that was the one question that, so that's great to, to hear because like, A, obviously your enthusiasm throughout this interview has been like, you know, you're at 11 and it's like so great to hear, like you're not jaded at all. You, you're very enthusiastic about your project. And it's also great to hear everyone at Image has, like, you know, has your back and are enthusiastic about making your, helping you make your story. But I guess the one question I wanted to ask is like, where do you see like this historical drama, like in the comics market, like in the wide scope of everything? Because it I- seems like everything right now is like in flux and there's so many genres, but still with like like superheroes sitting at the top, you know, this is the sort of like, like I said, probably like third sort of like Roman empire. One was from Valiant. Another one was going to be from like heavy metal. Now this is image. It seems like, well, not gladiator movies, but gladiator comics, there's something happening where they're becoming, you know, desirable to produce at least. So how do you feel like you fit into the grand scope of everything? Um, I, if you're like, I'm a huge Conan guy, like Conan oh, yeah. Silver Surfer are my all-time favorite characters. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. And as a Conan guy, like, there's a lot of uh, desperation, fighting against the odds mentality that you will find very evident in this story. Like, if you like yeah. Conan, I can guarantee you, you're going to like this, given yeah. that Aquilonia is a metaphor for Rome to begin with. <laughs> um, yeah. And you could argue that that the Arminius character is a Conan-esque character, meaning he's he's driven by this iron will, and no matter what happens, he will win. There is no stopping him. It's un, he's uh, his ambition is unwavering. You know, okay. he will like he's the type of guy. There could be a hundred dudes on your front lawn with bicycle chains in their hands, and he'll be the guy that goes. Let's go outside and see what they want. Like that's the character <laughs> that he is. Um, and I think in terms of finding an audience, there's just some real universal elements at play in the story that I think sort of transcend this just being a book about history and about Rome. It's about a struggle and a desperation against all the odds. And I really feel that right now, all of us feel like in one way or another, we're, we're trapped in a swamp without knowing what's going on around us, just going forward step by step. Yeah. And to, and to go back uh, to that Vietnam doc from Ken Burns, there was a very, very profound 
bit of blue collar poetry that gets dropped in that documentary. Mm. And it's when this guy goes, courage isn't charging up the hill. Courage is just taking the next step. And I yeah. think that that idea is very strong throughout the story because there's times where the characters know that it's futile. Yeah. No matter what they do, it's not going to end well for them. But it comes down to, do you sit and give up or do you at least take the next step? And they take the next step. And I hope, I really do hope that when someone sees it on the stands, they don't think, oh, it's another glorified guts and horror story. That's not what it is at all. I think that there's ostensibly that idea you could you could interpret it from from looking at it but at its core it's a love story it really is and i've said this a few times it really is a love story to me it is because mm -hmm. i know that like you go to the ends of the earth for the things that you love some people get people roses other people decide to topple the most powerful empire on the planet you know? <laughs> which that's, is that's more the, valuable <laughs> <laughs> we should have done this before <laughs> valentine's day <laughs> that's, I, I tried oh how i tried <laughs> no that's great that's great well i mean i love the book and i i mean what i've read the first the first issue it's it's fantastic it's gorgeous looking i'm i'm very interested i'm i'm also interested in the subject matter although i do not have anywhere near the knowledge of it that you obviously do. Um, that's what's so coming through, obviously, is that not only do you have an enthusiasm for this, like, you know your shit, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's that's great. That's great. Uh, so, I mean, oh, and well, before, you know, to wrap up, what are some of your favorite? Uh, I mean, we asked about gladiator movies. Like, what are some what is what are some of your favorite gladiator movies? I got to finish uh off with that. This is weird, Kay. I'm going to say something that, that it's going to piss people off and it's going to seem really weird. I hate Gladiator. No. I hate that oh, Gladiator? I hate that yeah, it's overrated. I, I, I agree. I, I agree. I hate I agree. that movie so much. I agree. There's do you like Spartacus? I do like Spartacus. I love Spartacus. Series. It's like, there's, don't get me wrong. Like, it's like, I don't need, it's like, you can go to the keg and you can have a really nice steak, you know? And that's good. You <laughs> yeah. can go to like a hole in the wall restaurant that is like one of those hidden gems and have a really great meal yeah you can go to like wendy's and have an amazing meal it doesn't really matter if it's like shefu foo or if it's like run of the mill a good <laughs> meal is a good meal you know kind of does like but anyway and, you know, go on for go your on. digestion after i guess it absolutely it does <laughs> but like i can i can enjoy all of it and there's like elements of spartacus that series that are so hokey and schlocky, but I still love. And then there's HBO's Rome, which I still love. Like, I love all of those things. And yeah. when I, like, dump on on Gladiator, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like, I only like specific certain types of black and white art house movies. That's all that I like. <laughs> no. Like, no, I can appreciate, like, cheesy, goofy, cornball movies, and I can appreciate high drama yeah, yeah, yeah. and art and all that stuff, We're not too. trying to get you into trouble. When I said no, Spartacus, I, I meant the Kirk Douglas movie, by the way. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, love the, I love the Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I yeah, love all that I stuff. Well, I love just, Kirk Douglas, and I love that yeah, movie. I think it's great. We just watched The Guns of Navarone the other day. Oh, That's another nice. fantastic old-school movie. Nice. Uh, but, like, in terms of, like, like swords and sandals movies that I, I really love, uh, it's... I would have to say, like, I really love HBO's Rome in terms of 
shows and things about Rome more than anything else. That was always my go-to of like, this is, this is how it's done. Right. You know, gotcha. I, I absolutely adore that. And there's, um, what's his face. He does all the historical, uh, drama books. He did the emperor series. I forget what his name is, but he did a great story about, uh, Rome and Julius Caesar and all that stuff. I forget what his name is. Connor Goulden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Connor Goulden did a story about Rome uh, and Julius Caesar. And that, I think, is probably, it's not even a movie or a TV show, but that is my absolute favorite series about Rome. Not that I even think that it's uh, super accurate or anything like that. I just really love his style of writing. Ben Kane is another uh, historical fiction writer that did a series about the Tudorberg Forest um that's very different than what we do by the way uh-huh, uh, in terms uh-huh. of its execution but those are two things that if you're a fan of like roman fiction history type stuff those are things that i would really nice. uh, recommend that people check out oh cool yeah yeah and when i said the nom earlier i meant the book which was interviews yeah. with like old not the marvel comics with the marvel comic is really good but the not there is a novel a book out there that's interviews with veterans like when they yeah. got back from me and it's it's intense. It's really good. It's it's a very good book. It's a very good book. But your book is called Dead Romans, coming yes. out from Image Comics on March 22nd, correct? Yeah, Shadowline, uh, Image Comics, uh, dropping March 22nd. FOC is, I think it's February 27th. I think that's the FOC. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. okay. Right. Okay. Do you have, um, uh, what is it? Uh, the, uh, previews like number, the order number or anything like that? Or, you know what? I probably, I can get it for you right now. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, if you've got it. Yeah. I can just try friendly. Uh, J A N two, three, zero, zero, three, nine. Nice. 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 So Fred Kennedy, any final words on dead Romans? It's really good. Please buy it. I have a mortgage. <laughs> and but uh, and where can people find you online? Like, what are you on? Like social media, or do you have a website, or you know, email? On Twitter, Twitter, and Instagram are the best places to find me. Okay, at fearless underscore Fred. So at, at what fear, fearless underscore Fred. Oh, fear. Oh, fearless Fred. Okay. Yeah. At first, I thought you said earless. I was like, wait, does, did no. we slip into Van Gogh territory here? Like, I was it's, like, no. It's important that you put the underscore in because Fearless Fred as one word is like a British dude who is a big fan of the <laughs> is Harlequin it right said Fred, Club. Like trying to make I, it... I've mentioned we message back and forth a lot. He gets like messages from me all the time. Okay. Uh, but he's a really good guy to talk rugby with too. Like great guy. But he's <laughs> okay. not me, just in case okay. anybody's wondering. Fearless underscore Fred on Instagram yeah. and Twitter. That's great. And the book is Dead Romans, Image Comics, March 22nd, Fred Kennedy, Nick. Marinkovich, right? Yes. Nailed yeah, yeah, yeah. it. Oh, I got it. I got it. I'm so good at the name. No, I'm terrible at names <laughs> on my show. Anyway, Dead Romans, Image Comics, March 22nd. Please check it out. Um, I very much enjoyed it. I think it's a beautiful looking book. This is right up my alley. I love the Roman Empire. I love swords and sandals. I love all that stuff. The drama. It's great, great, great stuff. Um, my name is Christian Horn. This is the Part-Time Fanboy Podcast. Uh, you can check us out on our website, parttimefanboy.com. Our email is ptf at parttimefanboy.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us there. Please check out Dead Romans when it drops March 22nd. It looks to be an amazing book. And thank you for listening. And we will be back soon with another episode. Bye. Bye.